COVID-19 has slowed things down quite a bit. Our borders and most of our businesses have been closed for the past few months, and we spent much of that time locked inside our homes in an effort to combat the spread of the disease. This has resulted in decreased pollution levels and a temporary drop in carbon emissions across the globe, leading some persons to believe that the pandemic, despite its terrible toll on our populations and economies, has actually been aiding our efforts to combat climate change. Many of the more severe effects of climate change can be felt here in the Caribbean, where we have to fend off constant threats to our natural ecosystems, protect ourselves against worsening natural disasters, and figure out how to make the best use of our limited resources in our pursuit of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. We at CESA were curious about how the COVID-19 pandemic might be impacting our efforts to overcome these challenges, so we reached out to the experts. We spoke with coastal researcher Professor Mona Weber. It really is a symptom of our improper waste disposal systems being overwhelmed by, by the present crisis. We contacted climate resilience expert Dr. Adele Thomas. What research has shown us is that it takes years to decades for SIDS to recover from hurricanes in particular. Um, and so with this coronavirus, it's not like we're starting on a blank slate. We got in touch with climate law and governance specialist Dr. Ruana Haynes. As it relates to specifically the issue of climate action, well... This one is a, is, a, is a bit more difficult. And we had a discussion with Dr. Justin Ram, head of economics at the Caribbean Development Bank. Would investors now be looking at hydrocarbon projects in the same way that they would have maybe six, six, six months or even a year ago? So let's have a look at how COVID-19 is impacting our struggles with climate change here in the Caribbean in this episode of Caesar Voices. We tend to lean heavily on our natural resources here in the Caribbean, especially our coastal ecosystems, which are usually under a lot of pressure around this time of year. Barbados, renowned for its pristine beachfront and fantastic weather, continues to leave quite an impression on newcomers to the island and returning visitors. Jamaica cries out to be explored. Underwater, on hikes, riverbound with a raft, underground with a lamp strapped to your head, or on a road, by car or bicycle. The Bahamas is a geographical area from Abaco in the north to Inagua in the south. It's the same as the Lesser Antilles. 100,000 square miles that's just waiting to be explored. As an ecotourism destination, Trinidad offers the visitor an amazing range of experiences of the natural world. The more than 400 species of birds, the exotic wildlife, and unique species of natural vegetation make this an eco-adventurer's delight. Of course, the tourism industry is at a complete standstill thanks to the coronavirus pandemic. But what does this mean overall? And what other effects is COVID-19 having on the natural environment? To find out, we spoke to Professor Mona Weber, director of the Center for Marine Sciences at the University of the West Indies, Mona Campus. The COVID-19 pandemic led to us having to use more plastic, both in terms of packaging and in terms of PPEs. 
um, personal protective equipment. Right. And the problem with, with that is the improper disposal of these. So we're, we're producing more waste. There are already signs that this waste is washing up on beaches, but it, it means it really is a symptom of our improper waste disposal systems being overwhelmed by, by the present crisis. There's another aspect which is more troubling, I think. It's many countries, and there are about 16 countries in the Caribbean that had plastic bans in place. And single-use plastics, the kind of plastic bags that you use at, at the grocery store, those bans were, were fairly well established. And we have seen a relaxing, um, sometimes a complete reversal of some of these plastic bans because persons are afraid of the contamination that they can get from a reusable grocery bag. And, and the, the ground we had made in, in terms of plastic bans and plastic minimization could be, could be lost. Another thing that comes to mind for me is I noticed that we are we're using a lot more, um, well, we're washing our hands a lot more, first of all, and we're using a lot more hand sanitizers and, and probably a lot more disinfectants. Is this going to have, well, I imagine it might have an effect on our, our, water, our water systems and our sewers and so on, maybe even the runoff into the sea. Uh, is this a valid concern? Yes, it is a valid concern. The excess sanitization, you saw bleach. Bleach is the most damaging of the chemicals, but even the excessive use of soap, the increase right. in the phosphates in the soap going into our coastal waters, that will enhance the eutrophication that we've already been having um, and, and cause problems. We actually, though, have had some positives about eutrophication because many of our coastal waters, our, our tourism infrastructure is pretty much being, being, not being used right now. And yes. so the pressures on the coastal system from... Um, recreational and tourist activities is reduced, and, and that is a positive. The absence of tourists, however, also has a, a bit of a downside because we had begun to forge really good partnerships between the hotels and other users of the coast uh, um, yes. to, to help with the whole environment conservation message and, and even with funding of our fish sanctuaries and other management activities. And so as their income and their activities decline, we also worry about the, the, the support to our, our NGOs and our fish sanctuary managers and our important coastal activities. Another thing that's happening because of this pandemic is that we are taking all kinds of precautions, social distancing and so on. Has this affected conservation efforts? In Well, I imagine it has. In, in what ways, maybe? That's an interesting question because, of course, we, we rely a lot on our people. We, we have been doing workshops and, and various activities. Persons have complained in other areas that the absence of university students and schools where they, 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 there is help with activism and help with the work towards environmental conservation. It has caused the movement to wane. We have various projects 
that involve community engagement and dissemination of information to community persons who, who are not necessarily online. And so th those activities have, have been downscaled in rural parts of, of various islands. It's, it's difficult to predict how we will again find efficient ways of engaging the, the community persons. I imagine there's some return to normal that is anticipated. Is there an opportunity here on the conservation side now to sort of jump in and ensure that there are um, certain considerations made towards those efforts? There is an opportunity, I think, for strong environmental activism because we, we now have tangible evidence of how important environmental conservation is, the biodiversity that we often take for granted and overexploit is is really coming around now to, to hurt us in a very interesting way. Oh, quite so, yes. And I think that is something, yes, we can ride the wave a little bit to emphasize how inextricably bound we are to our environment. It is not something that is out there and beyond us. It is very much a part of our survival. And so, yes, we need environmental protection. Yes, we need to be mindful of the species that we pick up and take home and extract from the environment without any thought. And so I think it will bring those issues home very strongly, very nicely worded signs and, and reminders to our visitors and others. I think would strike the message home very well in this time. Even in the midst of a global pandemic, small island developing states in the Caribbean still have to face off against one of the most destructive impacts of climate change. Heavy rains and winds of more than 200 kilometres an hour. Cyclone Harold is battering Vanuatu. Category 5 storm destroyed homes and buildings as it made landfall in Espiritu Santo, the country's largest island. Police and army spent the weekend trying to move vulnerable people to safer areas. A state of emergency is already in place in Vanuatu because of COVID-19, even though no cases have been confirmed yet. Restrictions on public gatherings have been lifted to allow people to go to evacuation centres. With hurricane season fast approaching, we decided to reach out to Dr. Adele Thomas, Senior Caribbean Research Associate at Climate Analytics. There's a link to our latest article in the description. It highlights the vulnerability of SIDS to COVID-19 thanks to severe natural disasters such as Cyclone Harold and Hurricane Dorian and our increased vulnerability to the disasters ahead thanks to the present crisis. So what research has shown us is that it takes years to decades for SIDS to recover from hurricanes in particular. Um, and so with this coronavirus, it's not like we're starting on a blank slate. Um, so if you take Bahamas, for example, with Hurricane Dorian, we still have people in shelters. We're still rebuilding. A lot of our healthcare infrastructure is not, you know, is, that was decimated by the storm is, is not up and running. And so we're already in a vulnerable position um, when it, as it relates to the storms and then now having to deal with coronavirus on top of that. What about the reverse of this? Um, you know, there, we have a hurricane season coming up right now. Uh, what, what kind of effects 
will this pandemic, in your view, have on our response and our preparedness? So I think that the pandemic would have, you know, really big impacts on our ability to prepare for hurricanes as we head into hurricane season. So you can think of some of the things that we would do to prepare for a hurricane, say evacuations um, of people from particularly vulnerable areas to shelters. How are you going to be able to implement that with social distancing? Um, even stocking up on provisions, so food, um, getting, you know, plywood to protect your, your windows and so forth, all of that is going to be very hard um, if we're under these current restrictions. And trying to prepare for these hurricanes could actually lead to spread of the virus um, as we become, as we would have to be in closer contact with each other in order to prepare. Is there anything that we can do now that we are in the thick of it to, to lessen that impact of the virus on our efforts? Um, I think there are some things that we can do and we can learn from the experience of the Pacific states because they've already dealt with Cyclone um, Harold while they're trying to deal with coronavirus at the same time. And they had to put in place specific measures such as quarantining aid for a particular period of time um, in order to make sure that it doesn't spread the coronavirus. They also will be really proactive in sanitizing their shelters and trying to make sure that they identify any people with coronavirus um, to make sure that they're not in the shelters along with, with other people and spreading the virus. So I think, you know, when we think about the hurricane um, season coming up, we need to start being proactive because it will start very soon. This pandemic has, in a sense, exposed certain vulnerabilities, yes? Um, yeah. So what I want to know is, are, are there signs that we're learning the lessons that there are to learn? I think that there are definitely signs um, that we are learning lessons from the pandemic and that when we recover from this pandemic, we need to do so in a fashion that considers our resilience to climate change. So some, the crisis has underscored some of the characteristics that we have that has made us very vulnerable to the pandemic, but are also make us vulnerable to climate change, such as our reliance on tourism, our need to increase domestic food production. These are all things that the pandemic has shown are our weaknesses. And when we recover from this, um, we need to do so in a fashion that makes us less vulnerable, not only to future pandemics, but to climate change as well. Adele's work reminds us that SIDS simply can't afford to sideline climate action, even in the face of the current pandemic. As a matter of fact, the resulting fallout has placed many of our disadvantages into sharp focus, underscoring the importance of sustainable development goals for countries like ours. Welcome to the Osmosis Daily Report on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm Dr. Rishi Desai, I'm the Chief Medical Officer here at Osmosis. Today I wanted to talk about COVID-19 and climate change. Now there's some interesting ways that COVID-19 has affected climate change. In fact, satellite data of the Amazon rainforest shows that things are very dry and there's actually a risk of forest fires. In fact, because of COVID-19, uh, we've seen slashing of the environmental protection uh, budget out there. And in fact, they haven't been able to uh, do the raids that they were doing previously to avert deforestation. As a result, there's been more deforestation, land grabbing, and wildcat mining, which is where they explore oil wells and drill in areas that don't necessarily have oil fields. And all of that sets up those uh, rainforests to get burned and results in more forest fires and ash and smoke in the air. Now turning it around, it turns out that all that smoke in the air and that particulate uh, contamination 
actually causes worse COVID-19 injuries and death. And in fact, in this Harvard study, what they found is that just a tiny increase, you know, they said uh, one microgram per meter cubed of particulate matter, very tiny little particles, uh, is associated with an 8% increase in the death rate from COVID-19. They actually looked at uh, various counties in the U.S. to create this correlation study, and that's a pretty impressive correlation. You see, these kinds of issues tend to worsen each other's effects, which is why it's so important not to take our eyes off the SDGs, even in the present crisis. But with our limited resources, how possible is that for Caribbean SIDS right now? In order to find out, Caesar Voices got in touch with Dr. Ruana Haynes. She's a senior legal advisor at Climate Analytics and has spent years participating in the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change on behalf of Trinidad and Tobago. How has COVID-19 impacted our efforts here in the Caribbean towards achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goals, especially in regards to things like climate action? Uh, well, first of all, I, I would have to issue a disclaimer and say there haven't been uh, very comprehensive studies or analyses done on this issue to date. Uh, what we do understand is, of course, because of the financial strain that COVID-19 is putting on Caribbean countries that already are in, you know, difficult situations um, when it comes to debt servicing and otherwise, we expect that having to deal with this crisis is uh, likely to set back uh, Caribbean countries um, in their efforts to attain the SDGs. As it relates to specifically the issue of climate action, well, this one is a, is a, is a bit more difficult um, because it's really going to depend on a few external factors. Uh, first of all, for example, um, whether or not international financing that's to be made available for developing countries to address climate change remains available at the same rate as, as was previously expected. And the availability of this funding is really going to make a huge difference in whether or not the Caribbean is going to be able to meet its own commitments in relation to taking climate action. And I imagine it's probably too early to tell at this point in time, you know, in terms of just like what our chances are of getting that kind of funding. There are some encouraging signs. A few days ago, we concluded the Belize Placentia Ambition Forum, which was led by the Alliance of Small Island States, and we had pledges from countries like Germany who came forward and very strongly said, you know, that they will keep their financial commitments uh, to provide climate change financing to island countries. However, uh, we do expect that there will be a competition for resources as it relates to um, the allocation of, of national level resources. So I guess the question is going to be, how do countries that already have severe resource and financial constraints continue to prioritize climate action in a context where, you know, additional funding needs to be um, in the first place allocated to dealing with uh, the COVID pandemic? People are saying that uh, there's a good impact on carbon, on carbon emissions, right? Is this accurate, would you say? Is that actually happening? Uh, there may be a, a 
slight dip, as we saw in the 2008-2009 global financial crisis, where there was, a, as, as economies slowed down, there was a dip in overall emissions, and we expect to see that dip. But what we also saw coming out of that crisis is that um, once recovery really got underway, you know, there was a huge spike in emissions. Ah, and so yes. the concern is that, you know, it's all well and fine to talk about the dip that's happening now, but if you look at our emissions trajectory, if countries are not putting in place COVID recovery packages or stimulus packages or COVID recovery plans that take into account, you know, their Paris Agreement um, targets and goals that take into account the need to take stronger action on climate change, you know, within the next 10, 20 years, then what we will actually see coming out of this crisis is, is an increase in emissions over the medium to long term. And I think that's what needs to be avoided at all costs. So, you know, the, the notion that we're, we're, we're being put on a, a, a cleaner, a cleaner trajectory, <laughs> I think is, is, um, because of COVID is, is a little optimistic, know, huh? False <laughs> Yeah, okay, it's, it's a false narrative. It's, it's one that I would love to be able to buy into, but um, yeah, the the experience of the past shows, shows otherwise. In light of that, what are things that can be put in place to shorten the spike or to even help us deal with what's happening right now with all of us being at home? And in terms of the lifestyle changes that will come over us going forward? There's a suite of policy recommendations that are coming out of the expert communities, climate change communities, even from the United Nations system, on how governments can use this crisis as a means to jumpstart and accelerate um, measures that they're going to have to put in place anyway uh, if, if we're serious about really dealing with climate change and putting the world on a trajectory to avoid its most dangerous impact. I'm really hoping that um, bailout and stimulus packages that are, you know, being developed now, as well as COVID-19 recovery plans that are being developed by different uh, Caribbean islands in the region, I'm really hoping that they will take into account the need to green recovery efforts and the need to ensure that even in the midst of the COVID recovery um, actions that are required uh, for sustainability measures would not be unduly delayed or pushed to the side because uh, yes, the COVID crisis is happening now, but the climate crisis remains ongoing. It's still there, yes. In episode five of Caesar Voices, Dr. Kalim Shah gave us a good understanding of the fundamental value of policy when it comes to sustainable development. As you build your house, so to speak, you need to have that strong foundation. Otherwise, everything can topple down. Um, so I see policy as being that base foundation that we must have to set the stage for moving all of our strategies, our plans, our programs, our projects uh, forward. This value is being demonstrated by the current crisis, which seems to be putting all kinds of different policies to the test. So how is sustainable policy in our region likely to change in the face of COVID-19? We wanted to know, so we set up a discussion with the Director of Economics at the Caribbean Development Bank, Dr. Justin Ram. I think from a policy perspective, this particular um, shock that we are experiencing now 
actually has some benefits for the sustainable policy um, dialogue right now because more and more people are recognizing that the way that we were developing, uh, the conventional ways of doing things is perhaps not, not optimal. And so many people are now considering that resilience is important. And in order for you to build a resilient economy and society, sustainability is an important aspect of that. So what we're likely to see, um, and this is some of my personal views here, is that resilience is likely to become much more important than efficiency. We're likely to trade off some efficiency gains so that we can have greater resilience. So that things, for example, in the Caribbean, we're now speaking about the need for food security. Um, and before we would have always spoken about, well, what's most efficient? And it would have been very efficient for us simply to import food supplies from outside the Caribbean. But now with the whole idea of sustainability, food security, resilience, we're now thinking that we need to have more of our food produced within the region and, and domestically. So I think that this shock is actually quite good from a sustainability policy dialogue. In a sense, our weaknesses have been exposed, and I guess that presents opportunity. Yes, you're, you're absolutely correct. And it's not, it's not the first time that our weaknesses have been exposed. I would say maybe every year, um, one or two or three of our countries might be hit by a hurricane, and it exposes our weaknesses there. And we speak about resilience building. But however, this time it is different. We are all experiencing it together and we're all recognizing that we need to build in resilience and to, be, and to build in an even greater sustainable society. And this also means that things like the circular economy, the blue economy, these are areas that are quite important and I think now will have greater resonance for our policy dialogue in the, in the Caribbean. We saw where oil prices plunged recently, right? Um, mm -hmm. I imagine this must have had a huge impact on the Caribbean since we seem to be very dependent on oil and gas. Does this push us forward or back in terms of our renewable energy pursuits? You know, that's a very interesting question and I've been thinking about it for a while. Now, typically when the price of oil or price of gas goes down, we typically say that that's not good for renewable energy because it means that um, new renewable energy projects or even existing ones um, can't compete with a low hydrocarbon um, price. However, I think what's different now is that instead of looking at it from the consumption side, there's actually now a need to look at it from the investment side. Would investors now be looking at hydrocarbon projects in the same way that they would have maybe six, six, six months or even a year ago? Or does it make greater sense for them to start investing in renewable energy where they can have a more certain price and greater certainty? And that's very important for the users of electricity as well. Because what tends to happen um, because of the huge volatility in the oil market now is that you can actually have this huge volatility in your electricity bills. And that makes investment quite, quite difficult to predict and quite difficult to understand whether your projects are going to be viable enough, enough or, or not. And I think that what's going to happen here is that investors are going to start looking at renewable energy from a different point of view and saying, okay, there's probably a lot more stable outcomes that I can expect from renewable energy. And on top of that, we already know that fossil fuels 
um, are leading to this phenomenon of, of climate change. And so eventually we really want to be getting out of, 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 of hydrocarbons. So is this the time to start thinking about that? I think that a lot of these types of thought processes are going to be quickened now. And maybe I'm hoping that even though the price of oil is quite low now, that volatility in the oil market will begin to make investors look at renewable energies from a different point of view in terms of stability of price and of demand. Is it almost like we're saying that, okay, it might be trending down right now, but it's part of a bigger picture where it has fluctuated rather wildly over time and that that in and of itself might present signals? Yes, you are, you are absolutely right. So, so although, because you have to think about it, if, if, you're, if you are an, an investor and you would have invested in an oil project and now the price of oil is so low, you're not making a great return on that, huh? And so you are, you are starting to think, if you're a fund manager, you're starting to think, where is it I should be investing my resources for, for energy projects? I will start looking at stability of price, stability of, of perhaps um, price and demand and supply going forward. In re renewable energy tends to provide us. And in addition to that, we have the issue of climate change and the need eventually to cut back on the consumption of hydrocarbons. So remember at the, at the beginning of this, we spoke about how important this crisis is for sustainability dialogue. I think within the sustainability dialogue, this discussion around the use of hydrocarbons, they need to move away from it and will play a significant role there now. So it actually provides us with a great opportunity, I think. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to challenge our way of life exposing many of our flaws and inefficiencies in the process. But if we can figure out how to apply the tough lessons we're being forced to learn right now, there's a chance for us to build a better world than the supposedly normal one we had before. Anyway, that's all we have for you in this episode of Caesar Voices. I'd really like to thank all our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge and insights with us. Considering their positions and the present circumstances, it can't possibly have been easy. Of course, I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you've been enjoying our podcast so far, please feel free to give us a rating wherever you're listening. I'd also like to remind you that you can visit our website, caesarjournal.org donations to lend your financial support or join our monthly donor club on Patreon and gain access to exclusive content or even be featured in an episode of the Caesar Voices podcast. Just click the links in the description. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode of Caesar Voices and feature your company or NGO, just click on our corporate link to learn more. 